Welcome to Forensic Miles. My name is Miles. Hey guys, it's Sean. And we are super excited about today's case, especially because there have been new developments as of Saturday, whatever January 10th was, Saturday, I believe. All right, let's get into it. Just a little bit of business before we get started. Um, I just wanted to give a little forewarner that you will definitely hear my husky in this episode. Um, we try really hard, but sometimes she just has a story that she wants to tell. So you'll hear a little bit of that. Um, also, I wanted to tell you about another local podcast um, from the Cincinnati area. Um, they are called Slay Queens Podcast, and they are dedicated to the discussion of true crime or true crimes that affect the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and they're really awesome. And you guys should check them out and listen wherever you're listening to my podcast. Today, we are going to be covering the Black Widow of Las Vegas, otherwise known as Margaret Rudin. So we're going to start at the beginning. And the story starts with Ronald Rudin, who was born on November 13th, 1930 in Chicago, which is where he grew up. He was an army vet and decided to go to Las Vegas where he saw great potential as they were going through a major shift during that time. So they were kind of changing from this like mob sort of a town to a big booming city that they are today. Um, This is where he made his fortune brokering real estate deals. So all his hard work paid off, and Ron was extremely successful in Las Vegas. In fact, Ron was a millionaire and was known as a real estate mogul. Ron was known as a really caring landlord who would allow tenants to be behind in rent without evicting them. Um, But he also took his security very seriously and had systems in place to protect both himself and his tenants. So there was basically like this huge arsenal of guns that he had in his home, as well as dogs that protected his property. Um, A quick note, which I thought was kind of interesting, but doesn't really have anything to do with anything, is that Ronald was interested in Scientology. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Ronald was also known as a private person and was obsessed with working, but at the same time, he really valued his privacy. One quote I found um, stated that Ronald treasured his privacy, yet he also had an eye for the ladies. I would say that Ron Ronald, or Ron... (laughs) Ron Rudin was a loner who didn't want to be alone. So, you know, following this quote... Ronald was married five times. Five? Five. You gotta be rich to be married five times. (laughs) Yeah, so I couldn't actually find the name of his first wife for some reason, but I have the names of all the others. So in 1971, Ronald married um, Ann Johnson. Um, This marriage didn't last too long, and they got a divorce in 1975, so four years later. While visiting a realtor friend's office, um, Ronald met Peggy, who was a secretary there. Friends were surprised and insinuated that Peggy wasn't really Ronald's 
like normal type of woman. Um, She was gentle and sweet, and Ronald usually went for the wild and vibrant woman. It was said that Peggy was the woman Ronald Mm. truly loved the most. Unfortunately, on December 20th, 1978, Peggy killed herself. She shot herself in the head with a high-caliber handgun in the master bedroom of the home that they shared together. Her death took a toll on Ronald. A friend said that he had fresh flowers put on her grave every week for a year after she died. He then moved on to wife number four. Her name was Karen Carmony. Then, in 1987, Ronald married his fifth and final wife, Margaret Frost. They had met at church, and she was described as an outgoing, vivacious, very sociable woman who was very well-dressed. Margaret had also been married four times um, before Ronald and was 12 years his junior. Friends said that after they were married, there was trouble. Here's a quote from one of their friends. There was a lot of obsession, a lot of distrust. There's a lot of suspicion. There's a lot of jealousy, but they are also very, very close at the same time. So it kind of seemed like this marriage was like doomed from the start. For you guys who haven't seen her picture, she's got a, a real uh, Meryl Streep vibe going on. She's a very, very, very beautiful lady. Ronald kept Margaret at arm's length, um, and she he didn't tell her how much money he made, and you know he would keep a lot of things from her, and it kind of drove Margaret a little bit crazy, and she really didn't like it. They seemed to have extreme arguments, and a gun was even fired once, although no one was hurt and no charges were filed. So, who fired it? Um, a Margaret fired the gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was later found that Margaret had actually wiretapped his phones, um, and that is where she found out that Ronald was having an affair. We're going to take a quick break right here so I can share a really exciting new podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Joe, and forgive me for interrupting this great episode of Forensic Miles, But I wanted to just let you all know that I have a brand new true crime podcast of my own called Still Unknown, an unsolved true crime podcast. Each week I will dive into a new unsolved murder or missing persons case. And who knows, maybe even a paranormal story every now and then. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast here. You can also follow the podcast's Instagram page at Still Unknown Podcast. Episode 1 will be out on January 1st, so subscribe now to hear it when it debuts. Thank you, and now back to this episode of Forensic Miles. On December 18th, 1994, Ronald vanished. So Ron was like an extremely punctual man, and he always arrived to work on time. So when he didn't show up, his employees were immediately concerned and reported it. They also reached out to a lot of his friends, and one of his friends recalls um, a phone call that he made to his wife after hearing Ron didn't show up at work, and he told um, he told her that he thought my, Margaret had done something to Ron. So like immediately... Ron's friends and um, employees knew that something was wrong. They knew that he hadn't just gone to a meeting without telling anybody or, you know, just 
was late. They, they knew that that wasn't a possibility for Ron. So he was last seen walking into Margaret's antique store, which was located in the same strip mall as Ronald's realtor office. Um, it wasn't until December 20th, so that's two days later, that Margaret reported him missing. Two days? Two days. Yikes. And, I mean, I'm sure there was some stuff going on in the marriage, but they were still living in the same house. So and that's a long was, time. If she was tracking his phone, then she would have known, too. Yeah. She right. would have she would have known if he was making calls, where he was, and clearly he was not making calls in, in these two days. Um, so Margaret said that Ron had been acting a little bit strange in the days before his disappearance. She said that he had made this big real estate transaction without telling his partner and that he had pulled phone records out of his secretary's notes, so like ripped them out of her notes. Um, so this is all a little bit weird. Um, and, you know, here's just a little point. Around this time, Margaret hires a handyman to completely remodel the master bedroom. In January of 1995, a fisherman found a charred skull and other remains on the shore of Lake Mojave, which is about 45 miles away from Las Vegas. The head had been decapitated and found at one part of the shore, and the rest of the body was found in a trunk. Along with the body, police discovered a gold bracelet that said Ron. So this was like a very distinctive bracelet. Um, and the remains were later identified as Ron, Ronald Rudin's. Seems pretty staged that a month later they just turn up like that. Well, no, I think that it had been there for the whole month. Mm. But nobody had found it. And it, and it was, just, you know, these fishermen had just kind of come across Happened it. To... But, but the bracelet had been displayed in a way that did look like it was staged and it did look like somebody, whoever did it wanted them to find out that it, that it was wrong. So they killed him, but they still wanted police to know it was him. Mm-hmm. Yep. The coroner reported that Ronald had died from multiple gunshot wounds to his head. When she found out how he had died, Margaret said, and I quote, it's beyond my comprehension. I can't imagine that would have actually happened to him. In the initial search of the house, um, they didn't find anything. But Detective Phil Ramos, you know, kept thinking it was Margaret. Things started pointing at her, and they just didn't have enough information to know for sure. But on January 25th, 1995, Ramos got a phone call from a man named Augustine Lovato, the handyman that had been hired by Margaret to redo the master bedroom. Uh Uh-oh. Mm -hmm. He had some major information for them. He said that he had removed the carpet and removed a soiled mattress from that bedroom. He also said that he had seen red specks on a glamour shot of Margaret that was hanging over the bed. Now, if you've seen this Forensic Files episode, you can picture this bedroom almost perfectly. Um, But I'm going to upload pictures on Instagram and the blog so that you can see. Um, This glamour shot is huge, and it's literally right on top of their bed. Um, He also handed over a box, which Margaret had instructed him to mail to her mother. When they opened the box, they were really hoping that they would find the gun. But actually, the box contained love notes and a picture of a man named Yehuda Sharon. It appeared that Sharon and Margaret were having an affair and that he had possibly played a part in the disappearance of Ronald as he had rented a large van around the time that Ron went missing. So they were both having an affair. They were both having an affair, which makes me think, you know, maybe the motivation wasn't the affair, 
it was the money. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. Um, but that's sort of what I think. So after they had, you know, received this information from Augustine, um, a second search warrant was issued. Um, and the detectives went back to the home of, um, Ronald and Margaret. And keep in mind, this is the same house that Ronald lived in with at least his fourth and third wives. Um, so while they're doing the search, they spray the master bedroom with luminol and they discover blood spatter everywhere. Investigators were excited as they believed, you know, they had found the location of the murder. Um, however, one of the investigators started to feel like they'd been in the house before. And it turns out that he had. He had investigated the death of Ronald's third wife, Peggy. Um, and this kind of meant that it was now going to be a little bit difficult to prove that the blood in this room, all the blood spatter was actually from Ronald or was it from Peggy? Um, um. Since both of them had died from gunshot wounds in the bed. Hmm. Um, I mean, pretty smart cover up. True. The police believe that Ronald had been shot several times while he was sleeping. Um, and then brought to the desert in the hut. Um, it's called a hunchback trunk. I'll upload a picture onto the blog and Instagram too. I think it's just one of those ones with, um, you know, it's kind of rounded on top. Um, so they believe that he was brought to the desert in the hunchback trunk and then burned. Around this time, Margaret tried to access her $6 million share of Ronald's $11 million fortune, um, but ended up settling with trustees of his estate for about $500,000 after they sued her to try and prove that she played a role in Ronald's death. So at this point, her trustees were, were ahead of the police. Um, and they actually sued her to try and prove that she had something to do with Ron, Ron, you know, Ron's death. About a year after Ronald's death, in July of 1996, a gun was found in Lake Mead, and it matched the murder weapon that caused Ronald's death. Um, after doing a little bit more of investigating on the gun and checking the serial number, they found that the gun actually belonged to Ronald and that it had been reported missing shortly after his marriage to Margaret. Police now really wanted Margaret, but guess what? She gone. She was gone. Um, they said that she had slipped through authorities' hands in Phoenix in 1998 and that she had changed her appearance. So she's been gone for a couple years now. Um, they weren't able to find her immediately. Um, and I don't think it was actually until 1999 that they ended up finding her. And that was all thanks to an episode of America's Most Wanted. Um, so they did an episode. I have 1997 here, but I have to believe it was 1999. Um, they did a segment on Margaret and someone in Massachusetts recognized her and she was arrested and sent back to Nevada to face a jury. Got us a fugitive. Yep. In 2001, her trial started. Although prosecutors believed Margaret had um, help in the killing of her husband, you know, the Sharon guy, they they assumed that it was that that it was him. Um, there was a lot of evidence that was stacked, you know, against her. So the trunk, for example, um, an antique dealer named Bruce Hanaback um, claimed that he had sold the hunchback trunk to Margaret. He claimed that. 
This was the same trunk that had been found with the charred remains of Ron. This also claimed that Margaret had told him repeatedly that she wished her husband was dead. And this is one thing that I find a little bit weird. I don't know how close Bruce was with Margaret or if they did deals a lot together because, you know, she, her business was an antique business. So I don't know if they worked a lot um, side by side, but why would she be telling an, a random antique dealer that she wanted her husband dead? That doesn't make much sense to me. So they must have been closer or she didn't say it. There must have um, been some alternative relationship there. Yeah. So there's another little thing that comes up, too, about this trunk. Um, almost at the end of the trial, the man who Bruce claimed he purchased the trunk from mm-hmm. said that that um, transaction never happened. And proof, and uh, Bruce actually didn't even have the proof of the sale. So I'm not really sure if that actually happened. Um, the defense attorneys say that it didn't. Um, but we'll move on to the next point, which is Margaret's behavior before the death. Margaret's sister Donna stated that Margaret was more concerned about Ronald's finances than she was about his disappearance. She said that on Christmas Day, a week after Ronald disappeared, Margaret hired a locksmith to open Ron's office so she could go through his financial records. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Margaret actually comments on this, though, and she her excuse is that the trustees of Ronald's estate had already started to shut her out, and she wanted to get asset access to his assets. So... Ronald's trustees were kind of on her, but immediately they felt like something was wrong and they were immediately not going to give her any of them, the money, um, or they were trying to make it kind of difficult for her to get it. So, um, one of the other points is the directive. Um, and so Ronald, it had been said, or and Ronald had said on multiple occasions that he was concerned for his safety and worried that he would be killed for his money. You know, he had all of those security measures in place. Like, you could tell that he was a little bit concerned for for him, for his safety. And protect himself against his wife, though. His attorney had um, added a directive to his will requesting that in the case of a violent death, a full investigation be conducted. Um, He singled Margaret out as a potential threat. One of Ronald's friends, um, John Ruther, recalled one of his phone calls that he had with Ron um, that he said he had found a piece of paper where Margaret was writing out how she would split the money in the estate with her family and friends. Pretty messed up. Yeah. So Ronald was very nervous and very concerned about his safety. Um, And because of this, his lawyer stated that she suggested he name Margaret in this directive. Um, But Ron didn't want to because he didn't want to upset Margaret in the case of her not being involved with his death. Margaret, of course, denied that he was scared of her, which is obviously what anybody would say if you knew that you were scaring somebody. (laughs) The prosecution claimed that Margaret killed Ronald because um, she had found out he was in he was interested in an, in a divorce and had been having an affair. Although Margaret denied this, she said, "I I don't have a history of staying with somebody if I'm really unhappy. I have a history of divorcing, which is true. Which is why I don't think it was about were her other husbands like wealthy or was she always the wealthy one? So." She's not wealthy. The The only reason that she has that antique company is because uh, Ron gave her all the money to start the business. Yeah. 
So she had no specialty in antiques. She didn't know about antiques at all. She just wanted to start this business so that she could get some sort of tabs on Ron's financial, um, you know, statements or whatever. And the other thing which is interesting is that um, it said that each of Margaret's husbands were more wealthy than the other. So she was really, it seemed like after the money. Um, she also stated that an affair would not upset her and she wouldn't have killed him because of this. She said, you know why? It's because 99% of men that I've been with in my life had affairs. 90% of men do it. You might as well expect it. The defense claimed that Margaret had not killed her husband and that Ronald was in fact involved in illegal activities and that was the the cause of his death. Um, so one of these things that he had done had gone awry and, and somebody killed him. Um, but Ronald's friend, uh, Jerry Stump denied that he was involved in shady business. He said the kind of people who stopped by Ron's office were mayors, police officials, and FBI agents, all of whom were his friends. He was a member of the junior chamber for gosh sakes. I don't buy the mob bull for one minute. So, you know, they tried, but it didn't work, and the jury didn't believe it either. I feel like that would have, like, if that was the case, one of his previous ex-wives would have probably already known that. That he was involved and, in some shady... Yeah, yeah, probably already tried to blackmail him for, you know, extra money. Well, and I also think if it was a mob hit, they probably wouldn't have staged that bracelet like that. True. I, I don't know. Um, so the the jury didn't buy it either, and Margaret was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison with parole only possible after 20 years. There were lots of back and forth on whether Margaret should be given a new trial on the grounds that she had inadequate counsel in the initial trial. Um, so supposedly her lawyer had been rambling his opening statement so much that Margaret thought it was grounds for a mistrial. Um, And I believe that the judge actually replaced this um, initial lawyer with a new team, um, but she still felt like she didn't get a fair trial. Yeah, so I had seen, too, that her her defense was a big issue throughout the initial trial and um, with trying to do appeals. And um, it got to the point where it was actually so bad that they didn't even file the appeal. And I think it was like the Supreme Court or a judge uh, recognized this and offered her basically a plea deal for a lesser charge. Um, but Margaret was like, nah, I, I just want a competent counsel because I'm innocent. And so she, she didn't take that, took it to trial and ended up, you know, as we now know, getting a life sentence. Hmm. And this brings us to January 10th, 2020, last Saturday. Margaret was released from prison. Upon hearing the news, a friend of Ron's, John Ruther, said, I don't think she should ever get out for any reason. Other friends declined to be interviewed on camera for fear of what Margaret might do. So they're like, all of Ron's friends are terrified of her. To this day, Margaret claims her innocence and said she had nothing to do with her husband's death. Um, Now, here's a quote from John Ruther's daughter, Patty, who I have to assume, you know, also knew him quite well. Um, She said, to all rich men out there, you could be next. Wow. 
Yeah. So Margaret is 76 and I read that she planned to live in Las Vegas um, and get her bachelor's degree. Yeah, I saw she was uh, going to go to the Illinois area and uh, be with her family. I think she has a daughter and a uh, granddaughter. And then wow. I think that she even became a great-grandmother. Really? Yeah. Wow. Margaret was said to be a model prisoner who um, actually stood up for women inmates and their rights. Um she actually sued the Nevada, uh, the Nevada Department of Corrections in 2018, claiming abuse, misconduct, and sexism because female inmates don't get the same access to programs for aging prisoners as men do. Um, well, that is all I've got for you guys. I hope that you enjoyed this case. Um, it is so fascinating and so interesting. Um, please remember to review and like and give us stars and share. Um, thank you so much for all of your support and we can't wait to see you or talk to you next week. Thanks for listening guys. <laughs> all right. Bye.